0: You know, a lot of the times people think, well, this is just the way the workplace is. But it doesn't have to be. And there may be a protection that you're not aware of. Or there may be a form of support that someone can provide to help you get what you need. Milk, minute, milk, minute, milk, minute, yeah. Milk, 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 milk. This
1: is Maureen Farrell. And Heather O'Neill. And this is The Milk Minute, an inclusive evidence-based podcast hosted by midwives and lactation professionals. That's us, here to talk to you about all things
2: lactation. And boobs. Body positivity. Mental health. All the milky topics. Join us for another episode. Welcome to The Milk Minute podcast. We have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Juliana Franco, and she is a lawyer, And I got to know her because I read her magnificent article in the Journal of Midwifery and Women's Health, and this article caught my eye, and it's titled, The Healthcare Providers' Role in Securing Work Accommodations for Pregnant and Postpartum Patients. And this was co-authored by Juliana Franco, who's with us today, Liz Morris, Jessica Lee, and Joan Williams. So Juliana, thank you so much for coming to the show. And you're about to drop some serious wisdom on us today about getting a work accommodation for lactation.
1: Yeah, we're so excited to have you, Juliana. Thanks for coming.
0: I'm really happy to be here. And thanks for inviting me to be on.
1: Yeah. So Juliana, can you tell us just a little bit more about who you are? and what you do, and, and kind of give us some context. Like, why why do you care about this? Of
0: course. Uh, so I'm a staff attorney at the Center for Work-Life Law housed at the University of California Hastings Law. The Center for Work-Life Law is a research and advocacy organization. We specialize in family responsibilities discrimination, which includes the workplace rights of pregnant, postpartum, and breastfeeding women. I've learned more about... You know, laws that are in place now to protect pregnant workers that, you know, weren't in place when my mother had me. And it's really opened my eyes to the progress that can be made over generations to help families of all forms be able to work and live their lives. So I think this is an incredibly important issue. I was born before that FMLA existed. And now, I'm pregnant, and there are even more protections, and I'm hoping that uh, with the work that this community does, by the time the next generation comes along, there will be more in place that can help people not just live to work, but work to live.
2: Oh, well, first of all, congrats on your pregnancy. That's super exciting. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Happy Tummy. Wait, um, what's Happy Tummy? Maureen, I've told you about this. Well, I forgot, so tell me again. Okay, so Happy Tummy is a heating element combined with aromatic and therapeutic herbs. Okay, okay, I'm listening. And you slip it into a fabric waistband with a separate pouch insert, and you put it directly against your baby's tummy... And it provides nearly immediate relief of most common symptoms of fussiness and gas. It mm, sounds really nice. Well, it is really nice because, I mean, I used to get really bad cramps okay. myself. And I had a lavender heat pack that I would put on. And it just makes sense that you would have one for babies.
1: Yeah, I was kind of just thinking like, mm, I could use this for my own self. Yeah, I mean, <laughs>
2: it's got a mixture of lavender, chamomile, lemongrass, peppermint, and spearmint. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, how great is that? So yeah. If I had gas and you came over and just tied that around me I would love you'd you you'd be a happy for, baby I would be one <laughs> I'd have one happy tummy yeah
1: we have an exclusive offer for you our listeners if you go to Happy Tummy's website you can enter promotional code milk minute
2: 10 for 10% off. Yeah. And they have way more products than just that. That just happens to be my favorite one.
1: Yeah. So we'll put the link in our show notes.
2: Yes. And don't use gas drops. Just get happy tummy. Yes. Again, it's promo code milk minute 10 for 10% off. You know, I just have to ask. So, you know, you're working in this, this place that, fights for the rights of pregnant patients and lactating patients. Is your boss just the most accommodating human being on the planet or what's going on over there?
0: My workplace is amazing and my boss is amazing. So it's been a really great place to be, especially when you're pregnant during a pandemic. Yes. uh, And I, you know, I wish that more people had a workplace like that or the understanding that I definitely have received. And the laws are in place for that to happen, but unfortunately it doesn't.
2: Man, well, I know that when I was reading your article, my brain just kept exploding over and over again. First of all, you did a great job as far as I read a lot of research just in the nature of what I do. And it's pretty hard to speak to every single person in an article. But I feel like you really did it. (laughs) You really nailed it. You're talking to patients, you're talking to providers, you're talking to lawyers. I mean, you've really just, you crushed it on this article. So good job. So, we, you start really by talking about how 40%, over 40% of mothers are their family's sole or primary breadwinner, bringing in at least half of their family's earnings. But then also, 50% more women than men earn wages at or below the federal minimum wage. So, can you tell us why those statistics are such a big deal when it comes to a workplace accommodation that's denied?
0: Well, if the working mother is bringing in so much of her family's income, and she is to lose her job because of a denial of accommodations, or end up having to work less because of this denial, that can have really drastic effects on her family as a whole. Particularly, you know, a loss of a job isn't just a loss of income, it comes with oftentimes the loss of health insurance, housing insecurity, food insecurity, And, you know, detrimental health effects, depending on what accommodations were denied, as well as the circumstances that that worker is in. So when you think of how many mothers are primary or sole breadwinners or bring in a lot of the income for their family and how they are discriminated against in the workplace during this time that could be very vulnerable for them it's extremely disheartening to think of not only the effect on them but on their children and the rest of their families.
2: Yeah, I mean it certainly seems like an uphill battle <laughs> when it, when you start reading with those those statistics. But then you go on to to say that despite the benefits that are currently available for pregnant, and lactating parents. More than 250,000 pregnant women are denied their accommodation requests each year. Is that accurate? Do you think it's underreported? Is this one of those statistics that's like shocking at baseline, but probably like it's actually higher than we think it is?
0: I personally, I believe that that number is actually might actually be low, You know, this is people who actually realize that they've been denied something that they requested or realize that they're, they potentially were discriminated against. A lot of the time people don't come forward to voice that they've experienced this because it can be shameful or they don't realize that it's a big deal. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually more people facing these issues than what's reported. Do you think that people
2: are not even bothering to ask for a workplace accommodation for lactation, especially for lactation, because they're they just feel like it'll be denied or what's your experience with that?
0: I think in a lot of circumstances, people are either unaware of their legal rights or they fear retaliation from their employer for asking for an accommodation in the workplace. You know, with lactation, there are some very basic things that could be provided to workers, which are, you know, it's reasonable break time, a clean private space that is not a bathroom, and, you know, a clear right to use those basic accommodations. But a lot of the times bringing it up with an employer could be the flashpoint for discrimination, so if people are even if people are aware of their rights, it could be extremely nerve wracking to do so, depending on the relationship you have with your employer or what you've observed happen to people in your workplace in the past. Oh,
2: I think that's a great point. Don't you, Maureen?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know,
1: listening to this, I'm I'm really wondering, do you have any kind of specific cases or like public cases or examples that come to mind where, you know, you saw some issue of workplace accommodation, especially with lactation, but, you know, um, that kind of thing come to light and whether the case was won or lost or anything, we, uh, you know, if you have any kind of stories that could (laughs) help somebody really see how this might apply to their life.
0: Well, the Center for Work Life Law doesn't litigate cases, but we do, uh, you know, we did publish a report called Exposed Discriminating against breastfeeding workers and through interviews conducted for that report we did identify some stories that i think are really compelling for example uh, something that's very straightforward there is a 911 dispatcher that was interviewed that says that she had to work in a soiled bra and she ended up suffering three breast infections after her supervisor refused to provide her adequate accommodations <sighs> wow when she brought this up to her sergeant he laughed made a moo noise, and walked away. And, you know, that that sounds shocking, but there are people who experience this type of workplace environment and these issues when they request breastfeeding accommodations or pregnancy accommodations. People don't really understand that there's a legal right to it or there's just a taboo about it having to do with your breasts where people make comments. And then, you know, another worker that was interviewed for that report had to breastfeed her newborn in her car during her break. And she actually was forbidden from returning to work until she'd weaned her baby. So and that, you know, led to a whole host of financial problems for her family, just because her employer wouldn't accommodate her needs. So, you know... The circumstances under which someone faces discrimination can vary, but generally what we say is if something doesn't feel right, you should discuss it with someone, whether it's your healthcare provider or if you have access to a legal helpline, just to see if something could be against the law or if there's relief available to you. You know, a lot of the times people think, well, this is just the way the workplace is, but it doesn't have to be. And there may be a protection that you're not aware of or there may be a form of support that someone can provide to help you get what you need.
2: Wow, that's really crazy. I mean, another stat that was in your article is that uh, 60% of women reported that they're not given the break time and private space they need to regularly express breast milk during the workday. And then you also said in a national survey, 50% of women reported that their employment impacted their breastfeeding-related decisions, and that their employment posed a challenge to breastfeeding. That's huge. I mean, breastfeeding is not easy. And just to have your workplace be yet another hurdle in the way, just really, like, it actually makes me mad. Like, I got chills when you were telling those stories about those women. That's
0: horrible. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we published a report called Exposed. And you know, up to that point, we were looking at existing state laws. And at the time the report was published, even taking those laws into account, uh, 27.6 million women workers of childbearing age nationwide were actually left without these basic protections that were needed by all breastfeeding workers, which are reasonable break time, space, and a clear right to accommodations. And since then, you know, there, there have been state laws that have passed that provide the right to these accommodations but there's still more that can be done both for pregnancy and breastfeeding.
2: Oh yeah, Maureen, do you you've seen all of the posts that we've had? We should probably get Juliana into our breastfeeding group. Uh, it's called Breastfeeding for Busy Moms, but I can't tell you how many pictures people have posted of their "quote unquote" pumping rooms at work. They are like disgusting mop closets. Maureen, what's one that you've seen that's bad? Uh, I
1: remember somebody said that they were using like a freezing cold storage room. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. And it was like, you know, and, and it, I mean, it was clean enough, but it was just so cold that they couldn't express any milk. And that was awful, you know, and we were having to tell her like, okay, like, you know, use warm compresses and all that, but she shouldn't have had to be in that situation in the first
2: place. Well, it wasn't just that, but her boss refused to get a heater for her. Do you remember that yep. part?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's just really, it just, it, it makes me feel rage about yeah. <laughs> how people are treated.
2: Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Aeroflow. Oh, tell me more about that. You know, do you ever wake up in the morning and you're like, I would love to call my insurance company today?
1: Literally never once have I thought that.
2: Okay. So people at Aeroflow knew this. Good. (laughs) And they decided that it would be in everybody's best interest if they developed a business where they contacted your insurance company to order your breast pump for you. This sounds good. So you literally never have to call your insurance company to work out getting a breast pump, which is fantastic because no one ever wants to do that crap when Mm -hmm. they're postpartum. And the other cool part is they will text you and let you know when it's time for you to replace your pumping parts and when your insurance will pay for new ones. So maybe, you know, your pump parts are fine for now. But if insurance is going to cover a new set, great. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not really combing through my insurance benefits information postpartum to see when I qualify for replacement parts. Uh no, <laughs> yeah. not at all. Right. So, we're going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes for Aeroflow, and yeah. when you click that link, it's super easy. You just put in all of your insurance information, and then somebody from Aeroflow contacts you directly, and you have like a real person that mm-hmm. you talk with, and then they do all the dirty work for you. It's fantastic. I couldn't recommend it enough. Please just <laughs> do yourself a favor and get your pump through Aeroflow. It's going to save you so much time and trouble. Right. And they have
1: all the top brand name pumps, replacement parts, and accessories. You know, they've got cooling gel
2: pads. They've got those pumping bras, all the stuff you need, one place. Yep. One place. So um, I guess the only thing left to say about that is you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. So Juliana, for these people that might be listening to this while pumping in a freezing cold mop closet right now, what are some ways that these listeners can advocate for a lactation work accommodation, be it with their provider or with their
0: employer? So, you know, one of the first things that we suggest is that people get acquainted with their employer's policies on the issue and learn more about what's available in your state. Our website, pregnantatwork.org has a lot of resources that are state specific, both for pregnancy and breastfeeding. And we also have uh, note writing guidelines for healthcare providers, as well as some info sheets on how to talk to your boss about your bump and your pump. Um, <laughs> that has, you know, Thank pointers you. that kind of direct you based on, you know, the state that you're in and the available protections. And then Come prepared with a plan when discussing accommodations with your employer. Think about what solutions you think would work well for your needs and try to anticipate any questions or concerns that your employer may raise. Realistically, discussing your needs with your employer can often involve educating them, Mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to, you know, breastfeeding accommodations or pregnancy. You may need to explain Something so simple as, you know, breast milk is food. that needs to be handled in a sanitary space, not a bathroom. Or, you know, you may have to go into more of the details about mm, pumping sessions typically take this amount of time. And that can be affected based on your child's feeding schedule. And with pregnancy, a lot of the times you also have to, you know, assure your employer that you are committed to your job, that you intend to return to work after a leave of absence. And kind of dispel any misconceptions they have around pregnancy and breastfeeding. Always take mm. good notes and just realize that there are, there are people out there who can provide you support. If you have any questions, there are free legal helplines that can answer your questions or help you figure out what options you have, whether it's before you talk to your employer or after you talk to your employer. For example, in the event that your employer says no, or is hesitating, you can reach out to see if there's anything that you can, you know, any information you can provide them that would help them. And for healthcare providers, you know, a note can be extremely helpful. And we have guidelines that can help them write a legally effective note.
1: Yeah, that that's a really good point about healthcare providers getting the right information to put in those letters, because they don't they don't really teach us that, you know? Oh, definitely Uh, (laughs) not. There's yeah, there's not like a class that we all took that was like,
2: here's how to write a good workplace accommodation letter for your patients. No. Have there been times that you have seen a note that actually hurt the patient instead of helping? Like the provider was trying really hard to, to write a note that was correct, and they ended up screwing it up somehow?
0: Well, I can't get into specific situations, but Yes, there have been times, um, just even looking at litigation in different cases, where uh, a note didn't help the situation. One thing that I will say is critically important is when someone's writing a work accommodation note, you need to clearly state that the patient's able to continue working with a reasonable accommodation and provide start and end dates and be very specific so that the patient doesn't inadvertently get pushed out of their job. And the law changes frequently. We don't expect healthcare providers to be legal experts, but it does help to reach out. You know, you don't want to inadvertently contribute to your patient losing their job. And also you want to help them get what they need without maybe going overboard right from the start. Uh, one thing we do recommend is like start start small and you can always adjust your recommendations later. Hmm.
2: That's really interesting. I mean, as a provider, I've I would think the opposite almost. You know, instead of starting small, I'd be like, all right, what do you need? <laughs> what do you want? What do you need? You want to pump every two hours? Okay. And I'll just go big. And you'll you'll get your own big beautiful corner window office to pump in. And and yeah, so that's where my brain goes because I'm like all about fighting for our rights and justice. And I'm like, try to deny the note.
0: (laughs) Yes, uh, you know, that is great. And we have guides for, you know, the circumstances and, you know, a healthcare provider just is dealing with a difficult situation. But, you know, generally, you don't have to include too much in the note. And it's just important to be really specific and avoid imposing anything that's unnecessary, or that might Trigger the employer to say, oh, well, you can't do your job. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, that makes sense. So thank you for helping me with that. <laughs> so, my experience as a provider, like when I have a patient come in just for any old regular appointment. I tend to like notice when they're trying to ask me for something, but they're a little afraid to ask me for something. And I usually reach out and I'm like, you look like you're trying to ask me for something. Is there anything I can help you with? And that's typically, I have to like pull a workplace accommodation request out of people a lot of times. So what do, what can you say to the listeners who are afraid of retaliation at work? So they're definitely afraid to ask their boss and they're afraid to ask their provider that's like too I mean do they have to ask their provider I mean it, can they go directly to their boss or do they really would they benefit from having a prescription you know
0: so first of all I think it's great that you make it a practice to ask your patients because it can be something that a lot of people are uncomfortable asking for help with as far as being concerned about retaliation it's completely understandable It is a real risk when pursuing accommodations in the workplace. You know, there are legal protections, but that's not necessarily a guarantee that your employer will follow the law. As far as asking for the accommodation when you're scared of retaliation, you don't always need a note from a healthcare provider, but it can be extremely helpful in securing the accommodation. It is also helpful to have an accommodation request documented in writing. Just in the event that you need to point to uh, something or have a record, it's good to have that note for your written request. As far as, you know, approaching the healthcare provider about it, I don't think patients should be too concerned about doing that. You know, the healthcare provider is there to help them ensure that they have a healthy and safe pregnancy and postpartum experience. And, you know, your workplace affects a lot of that. So it's. I think it's perfectly okay, but then again, I'm not the healthcare provider. I know your time is very limited, but healthcare providers can be such good advocates in this space that I think incorporating these conversations into regular care is really important. So patients should feel comfortable approaching the healthcare provider about this. As far as if your employer does retaliate against you or if you're extremely concerned, again, reach out to a legal helpline, try to document any conversations or requests that you make of your employer. And ultimately, it's the patient's decision what they request and what they avoid requesting. But just know that there are legal rights that do protect a lot of this. So if you need something, there are ways to help you get it.
2: So I think a lot of the time people will ask me, um, you know, because of course, I'm going to say, yeah, fight for it. Like go ask your boss and don't be afraid to speak up and let me know if you need something. But a lot of times I feel like people know that they're being discriminated against, but they think it's just not worth it. Because even if we litigated it, I wouldn't win anyway. You know, is that true? Can you dispel that if that's a myth for people like when this When you are being discriminated against, if you have a good case, when it goes to litigation and say you're suing, you're like a little old Sally Mae who's, you know, living in West Virginia where we live and you're trying to fight against a big corporation that you work for. What are the chances? You know, like, is it worth it to litigate?
0: Oh, it's really hard to predict with litigation. It's so fact dependent and it also depends on trends in the court that you're in so it's really difficult to say if someone would win but I think if someone feels that they're being discriminated against they should still reach out to see if there's anything that can be done you know litigation isn't always the the only route to relief sometimes a nonprofit attorney or someone can help you with a demand letter or there are agency processes that might be able to help but yes, unfortunately, you know, I can't guarantee a win. Litigation's too unpredictable. But if if someone feels that something's not right, talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be options. It doesn't always involve a court case. Thank you.
2: That's helpful. Although I wish you had just said, yeah, do it, you'll win.
0: <laughs> you know, some people uh some people are more risk averse than others, um, and it's completely understandable. You know facing your employer uh, can be very intimidating and it's not always what will make someone feel whole. So um, it's understandable if someone doesn't want to pursue things that way, but that doesn't mean that there are no options available to them for relief. As far as you know accessing accommodations in the workplace, if before you approach your employer, you're a little concerned about what they're going to say you know, we do have a legal helpline where we can talk workers through options available to them, as well as like tips on how to approach the situation. And if, you know, if your employer has already denied you the accommodation, similarly, we can talk you through what options you have now, whether it be following up with, you know, more resources for your employer or taking something a little more formal steps. But, you know, we're never going to force someone to pursue something in court. It's not always the best option for people. It can be really stressful. Right. So for all of our
1: listeners out there who really care about this and they want to change this crappy system um, that we're all working in, do you have any advice for them On advocacy that they can participate in or ways that they can help create work environments that are more lactation friendly?
0: On a more micro level, it's really helpful to get informed and advocate for yourself and others in your workplace. A lot of the times this comes through, you know, educating your employer on what workers need when they're making accommodation requests and how it could help your coworkers and benefit their business. And, you know, that can have ripple effects. If something works for you, it might work for a coworker and then lead to your workplace being better around the issue. On a macro level, I would say, you know, over half the states in the country have passed laws that address the needs of pregnant and or breastfeeding workers. We've made a lot of progress in that area. But the passage of a federal law with a clear and enforceable right to accommodations would be extremely helpful.
2: Yeah, we've got a big vote coming up. I'm guessing one of those candidates would not be pro-passing a breastfeeding and pregnancy workplace law (laughs) at the federal level. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, well, Juliana, you are so... Knowledgeable and sweet. I can tell you in your soul, you genuinely want this to change and you want people to have what they need in work. And I I mean, as you move forward in your pregnancy, I'm sure that even gets stronger. So thank you so much. Is there one thing that you want listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: I would say don't feel defeated. Seek support when you need workplace accommodations. There are people available who can help you make sure you can work safely and comfortably there's a whole community that understands and that is there to provide you backup don't feel alone and you know we have a free legal helpline at the center for work-life law we're available to talk you through different options and your rights and you can reach us at 415-703-8276 or by email at hotline at worklifelaw.org. And our website, pregnantatwork.org, also has a lot of resources. Just know that you don't have to go through this alone. And you're not expected to be an expert in the law in order to access your protections. Just seek support. There are people there who want to help.
2: Thank you. Get ready to get some phone calls. Yeah. I don't know if you want to give that number out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to put that up in my office. Seriously, that's that's a wonderful resource.
2: It is. And we'll put all of those in the show notes of the podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. And it's just been, I hope it was as helpful for our listeners as it was for Heather and I.
0: Well, it was a pleasure being here. Thank you. So,
1: some very exciting news. We have some patrons on Patreon. So, I just wanted to quickly thank them because we wouldn't be here without them. So, let's see. Who am I thanking? We are thanking Miss
2: Molly. Uh, oh, Ash. and by the way, oh. hold on. Yes. It was Molly's birthday the other day. Oh,
1: happy birthday, Molly. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to thank Ashley from West Virginia, another Ashley from Arkansas, and Elizabeth from Kentucky. We're so excited to have you guys as patrons, so thankful. Um, And if anyone else is interested in being our patron, you can find us at patreon.com slash Podcast.
2: Yes, and Maureen just dropped a pretty interesting surprise for our patrons patrons oh my god patrons on patreon (laughs) yes if you're if you're a patron of ours you get all kinds of backstage access to all of our top secret breastfeeding stuff yeah and maureen just dropped her biggest secret that she's been holding on to so far so if you're Mm -hmm. interested in becoming a patron with us you can get all the secrets too
1: yeah although when we air this you might know by now it's hard to say But yes, they knew a whole month before everybody else.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and there's other secrets that we keep from other people that you will get to know. Yeah,
1: they get um, like blooper videos and stuff that we don't like to post for everybody.
2: (laughs) Yeah, because we batch record. We start out looking really good, and by the last episode that we record, I need vodka and coffee (laughs) (laughs) at the same time. Oh goodness.
1: Thanks for listening to The Milk Minute. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and
2: review our podcast wherever you listen. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash milkminutepodcast. To
1: send us feedback, personal stories, or just to chat, you can send us an email at milkminutepodcast at gmail.com.
2: It's a minute. <sighs> yeah. All right. Tell them goodbye. Bye, guys. Thanks for
0: listening. Bye. Thank you. And best of luck. Go fight for your right.